Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. Providentially, we've been in a a series called Living Life. And at the heart of this message, through the pages of the book of Galatians that we've been walking through, the message that has been communicated is a message of freedom. God's desire for you and I is to come to him to find freedom in him. We have been living our lives as slaves prior to knowing him. We were a slave to our sins. Our Bible says that we were born shaped in sin and iniquity. We came here bound. We had no choice. But what we do have is an opportunity, an opportunity to become free. And through what he did with his life, where he came and lived it and surrendered it on our behalf, we have the opportunity to be free. And so for the past five weeks, we've been looking at the book of Galatians to find how do we live life and live it in freedom. The problem that was going on at this particular church in Galatia was that they were new believers. The Apostle Paul had showed up to their region, had communicated the true gospel. They believed, they surrendered their lives to Jesus. And then Paul left to go and start some other churches. And what happened is some Jewish Christians came to Galatia and started some mess. Because the true gospel is this. We were in need of a savior. We were in need of help, and only one person could provide it, and it was Jesus. And he provided the help, and all he asked for in return was us to surrender our life to him. What happened was these Jewish Christians came and said, that's true, but you also need to keep our Jewish laws in addition to believing in Jesus. And so what we've learned is that anything plus the gospel is no gospel at all. You can't add rules, regulations, routines, and rituals to the gospel because the gospel is already perfect. The gospel has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. And so what happened is these new Gentile converts got confused and they started to believe the fact that believing in Jesus wasn't enough. And so one of the big changes that these Jewish Christians were trying to make the Gentiles do was to be circumcised. These were grown men, grown, grown. Not only that, but the people of Galatia were warriors. So they were no punks. And yet they fell because in their minds, they wanted to be closer to God. And that's the trick of the enemy. He tries to get us to do things under the pretense that these things will make us closer to God. 
And so we look back at the book of Genesis and we saw it there too. Because in the Garden of Eden, there wasn't just one tree there in the middle, there were two. There was, the not, there was the tree of life and then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, the tree of life is good. You should eat from that. It's life giving. But the tree of knowledge and good and evil stay away from. But the enemy said, no, if you go to this tree, you'll be like God. And he fell for it. A lot of us are falling for it, too. Because after we get saved, we start to get churched. I don't know if that's in a dictionary, but I'm just going to say it, churched. <laughs> and in our new members class, not in this church, but in our new members class, we get this checklist of Christian things that we have to do in order to be Christians. And we call that the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel is only obtained by faith. Faith in who? In Jesus. Not faith in your ability because here's the news flash. You don't have the ability. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough to keep yourself. You don't have it in you. No matter what anointing you possess, no matter what gifts you operate in, no matter what office you've been ordained to, you're not good enough. That's a fact that we all have to come to grips with if we want to be free. If we want to live a life, the type of life that God gave his life for us to live. The problem with this message is some people hear this message even today. Some people's initial reaction is, oh, well, I could just kind of do what I want to do, huh? I mean, it's just, it's all about grace and it's not about work. So that, that must mean that it's cool. I mean, I, I say at the prayer, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, so I'm good now. Done deal. And, and that thought um, is why all throughout hundreds of years of church history, the church has done its best job to kind of mute the tone of the beauty of the gospel because they're afraid, hey, Hey, if we, if, if, if we just leave it the way it is, people might just be living any kind of way, living how they want to live. And so we, we need to add some stuff to it. We need to make sure we do communion first Sunday every, every month. We need to make sure that, that, that we have a three-day fast twice a month. We need to make sure that we read at least a chapter of our Bible a day. We need to make sure that we are serving on every team that we possibly can because the only way that I can stay is if I work hard. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came is because we can't do it. We don't have the strength to do it. We don't have the intellect to do it. We don't have the charisma to do it. We're not good enough. The Bible says, we learned this last week from Alan, that on our best day, our best praise is a filthy rag. The, trans, the, the transcription is a, a tampon, a dirty one. That's on your best day. In his presence, a dirty tampon. So maybe we should all just bring it down a little bit. 
Maybe we should all just kind of realize just how much we need him now, not then, now, and tomorrow, and every day uh, thereafter. So we arrived this week. We're going to continue on. We are actually in chapter five. So I want to invite you to Galatians chapter five, verse number one. It reads like this. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly await to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. I'm going to read five again. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. So today I'm going to be speaking from the subject of living by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, in this moment, thank you. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that we're here. And thank you that we can hear directly from you in this moment. We ask that you speak to our hearts, change us, transform us into your likeness and away from ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You know, there was a a big time identity crisis going on here at the Church of Galatia. That, that was the heart of the problem. They were confused in their identity. They were trying to take on a different identity other than how they were taught. It reminded me uh, of uh, a situation this week where I went on a field trip with my son. Went to his school, I was excited, he was excited. The kids were excited, it was a great day. It was sunny outside, the weather was perfect, finally. We were gonna have a great field trip. And so I get there, I get to the classroom, I get the instructions from the teacher, and then we, you know, we march on out, and we get on the bus, and, and, and we're sitting on the bus, and now it's time for the teacher to take attendance. For context, all my children have names. On their birth certificate, my wife and I thought long and hard and gave each one of them a first name and a middle name. And then they got the last name from me. Everybody with me so far? In addition to that, I am in charge of all nicknames. <laughs> I gave each one of my kids at least two to three nicknames each. <laughs> Plenty of choices here, right? So my son, his name is Emmanuel. God with us, that's my wife. She got that in the dream when she was like eight years old. I didn't have no choice in the matter. Thus, his name is Emmanuel. So I gave him, given him the nickname Manny. So we call him Manny, right? Sometimes I call him Man, right? Sometimes I call him Buddy. That's it. 
Everybody with me so far? I get to this boy's school. We sit down. The teacher taking attendance. And something strange happens. She starts calling names. John here. Mary here. Mark here. And then she says something that caught me off guard. She said, EJ. I'm looking around like, who's EJ? He's sitting next to me talking about here. I'm like, what you mean here? Who? She said, EJ. Who is EJ? I was like, Manny, who's he? He's like, Dad, you can't call me Manny here. <laughs> Come to find out, this whole school calling this boy EJ. <laughs> Principal calling him EJ. Teachers calling him EJ. The kids calling him EJ. The secretaries in the main office, oh, you here for EJ? No. I have no idea who EJ is. <laughs> I said, dude, who is he? What? Like, you know, Emmanuel James. I was like, I, I get it. I'm smart enough to get where the E and the J came from. I said, why is everybody calling you EJ? He went and created a whole nother identity for himself and got everybody to join in. I, I'm really curious. Like, I wanted to see her attendance sheet. Like, does it say EJ? Like, did you print that out? Like, is it in the computer system? This boy's name is Emmanuel. But ain't that just like us? Our father gives us a name. Our father tells us who we are. Our father gives us definition. Our father gives us himself, his spirit. And we come into this world and we add on and we adjust and we make our own reputation, make our own name for ourselves. We create our own platform. We ain't even talking to him. We ain't even discussing it with the father that gave us our name. And then we wonder why we end up so confused about what am I supposed to do in this life? Who am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to go? What type of job am I supposed to? Who am I supposed to marry? We're all confused because we've created our own identity. We've shown up in the situation called the world and we've crafted carefully how everybody is going to view us. We haven't considered the one who gave us life, the one who gave us a purpose, the one who gave us a destiny, the one who has called us. And we've gone about this on our own. And that leaves us vulnerable to the traps of the enemy. Because anything outside of God's will is a distraction. But if we don't understand God's will for our life because we refuse to consult him, those distractions start to look like opportunities. And we end up in a worse state than we needed to be if we just would have stayed with the pureness of our relationship with God. And this is what was going on at the Church of Galatia. Paul, their spiritual father, had given them identity and purpose and a name and the gospel. And he told them what they needed to do and how they needed to surrender and what God would do for them as a result. And they forsook the identity that was given to them. And they took on this new identity because it seemed like an opportunity to get closer to God. 
If I take what Paul gave me and then I add this stuff, if I start to follow these Jewish laws, although I'm not Jewish, then I will, then I, then I will be accepted. It's a mistake then and it's a mistake now. We are far too often conditioned to think that the only way that God will accept me is by how hard I work. But the problem with that is that you're putting the spotlight on yourself. You're not surrendering and you're not acknowledging the fact that all of your help comes from him, that you can't help yourself. That everything that you're trying to do, you need him to do. Everything that you want to do, you need him to. Everything that you're trying to rid yourself, you need him to get it out of your life. You can't do it. The gospel is that we were in need of help, but it's not past tense. You didn't just get saved then and no longer needed his help. <laughs> you needed his help to come to him and you need his help to stay with him. Just because you prayed the prayer, believed in your heart and confessed it with your mouth was not the end of the story. You don't take on his identity and then add yours to it. Your identity is terrible. Your ideas are trash. You need his help to understand, learn, and operate in your identity. And the sooner, here it is, you realize it, the sooner your freedom comes. Because when we return to the law, when we return to rules and rituals, we return to handcuffs. We return to bondage. You stay in a perpetual state of not feeling good enough, not feeling up to par, wondering, does he accept me? Does he love me? Because you're basing it on rules and regulations instead of a relationship. When you're in a relationship with somebody, the health of that relationship is based on the communication they're in. When you are not consulting the person that you're in a relationship with and you're trying to operate and move throughout life, that relationship is bound to suffer. No different than our relationships with our Heavenly Father. If we are trying to figure out where to apply for a job, if we're trying to figure out a business to start, a spouse to, a spouse to marry, a potential spouse to date, if we're doing all these major decisions without the Holy Spirit, we are trying our best to fail. We're really trying to mess our life up because we're basing it on just how smart, how many books we read, how many degrees we have, how much oil the preacher put on our forehead to determine our own decisions in life. Recipe for disaster. So, we're going to walk through a few scriptures in chapter 5 to come out of agreement with that way of thinking, that way of operating, that way of living, so that we can come into alignment and agreement with what God has for us. And what he has for us is a life led by the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about him for a second. Number one, it's a him. He's not an it. He's not a feeling. He's not an emotion. He is the third person of the Trinity. He's God. And the fact that he's God 
and that he is inside of every believer is so amazing. Okay, you just, God, the Holy Spirit, is in you. Your frail, messed up, bipolar self. He decided to take up, when you surrendered your life, he decided to take up residence in you. But when was the last time you talked to him? When was the last time you let him take the lead and you played the background? Or are you so busy trying to drag Holy Spirit into your decisions? Come on, come on, come on, God. We over here now. Should be the opposite. We should be following him instead of dragging him in a different direction. So the first verse says this. So Christ has truly set us free. The original translation is much better, though. It says, for freedom, Christ freed you. For the purpose of Christ freeing you was for freedom. The purpose was not for bondage. The purpose was not for handcuffs. The purpose was not to keep you shackled up. There was one purpose in him coming and dying and resurrecting. And it was to provide you and I freedom. We have to get a hold of that. We have to understand that. The problem is we get scared at the thought of that because we don't think that we can maintain that freedom. And can I help you? You're right. You can't maintain that freedom. Here's some proof. Now make sure that you stay free. It's a warning, right? Right after that. Christ came to make you free. Now make sure you stay free. Comma, make sure you stay free. That part is on you and I, but it's not on us to do alone. It's not on us to figure out by ourselves. It's an opportunity for us to surrender and commit ourselves to what the Holy Spirit has to say. I want to stay free, Holy Spirit. How do I stay free? Help me stay free. Keep me free, Holy Spirit. Help. Yeah. And then he says, and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now, your eyes want to go to the law, but what you miss was the word again. That means you was tied up before. That means you was bound before. And now when you operate in a works-based mentality, you get tied up again. Because the truth we have to realize is that we were bound on our way to hell for eternity, deservedly so. Then the Holy Spirit has come into our lives as a result of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And now we want to add some rules to what he did perfectly on the cross. Do you understand that what was done on the cross when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. It was done. But what church has taught us is that that wasn't enough. That wasn't good enough. You living the perfect life. You putting yourself on that cross. 
you resurrecting out of that grave was not enough. There's got to be more. That's too easy. That can't be all to the story. And that's partially true. But our error is inserting ourselves as the authority to figure out what else needs to be done. I'm going to keep hammering this until you get it. You can't do it alone. You can't figure this out. I don't care if you've been saved 25 years. Not good enough. I don't care how many times you did the Bible in a year. Not good enough. I don't care how much you give and tithe. Not good enough. I don't care how many departments you served in. Not good enough. I'm going to keep saying it until you realize you're not good enough and neither am I. I need, I need the Holy Spirit. I need to be led by the Spirit or I go back again to bondage. I go back again to slavery. So we have to stay free and we have to make sure that we don't get tied up. True spiritual freedom in Christ is the result of living a want to life, a want to life, instead of a have to life. I read this Bible every day because I want to. I want to know the Lord. I want to know what he has to say. I want to know what his instructions for me are. I don't open this Bible every day because I have to. I don't open this Bible every day because I think that's the only way to him. I open this Bible because in my heart I want to know him more. Because my relationship with God is just that, a relationship. It's not a ritual, a routine, or a religion. It's a relationship. When you come to church, I come because I want to be in the midst of his presence, in the midst of my brothers and sisters. I want to be here. I've never shown up here because I felt like I had to be here. You have to realize that there's a difference between the two. When you, when you pray at night, what are you feeling? Are you feeling a desire to prayer or a burden to keep pace? When, 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 when the co-worker says the wrong thing to you, what what are you feeling on the inside? Are you feeling more devil or Jesus? It's a clue. That, that's a clue. So where you at? Are you feeling more Christ-like? Do you feel like scriptures coming to mind or curse words? These are clues for you. What are you feeling? When I get up here and say, it's giving time at all nations of the world, you're like, I work hard for this paycheck. What y'all gonna do for me? Or do you see it as an opportunity? Like, Lord, you gave me all this. I, I, here. It's all about what's going on internally because what's going on internally shows up externally. You can keep your $5 if you're mad about it because it's tainted. I, we don't want it. This is God's church. He's going to take care of it. 
and we don't need no frustrated seeds in this ground. It's a heart posture. How do you feel in those moments when we open up the altar and say, hey, if you need prayer, we would love to pray. Like, do you feel like this tension? Like, I don't know them. They don't need to be in my business. Who are they? That ain't the pastor. You got to ask yourself, where is that coming from? Why do I feel that way? Does that even sound like Holy Spirit? And if it ain't, who is it? So ultimately, we're faced with a, a, an either-or decision. We have to decide either Christ is our treasure in whom we find our forgiveness and our fulfillment, or we look to our works as where we find our strength, where we find our connection, where we find our relationship with God. Do you think you can serve your way to heaven? Do you think you can give your way to heaven? Do you think you can pray your way to heaven? Do you think you can hallelujah your way to heaven? All of those things are great. All those things are righteous acts. All those things are biblical. All those things are godly, but none of those things are the gospel. None of those things have the power to save you, and none of those things have the power to keep you. Those things are the result of a proper relationship with God. Those things are the result of a surrendered heart to the Holy Spirit. Those things are the result of seeing Jesus as your all in all. They're not the gospel. They can't save you. Your acts don't get you into heaven. Your relationship with God does. He says in verse two, listen, I Paul tell you this, if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now you see circumcision and you think, that's got nothing to do with me. Cool. Now what if we took out that word instead of circumcision and we said this, listen, I, Paul, tell you this, if you're counting on serving to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Let's, let's, come on, let's make it churchy. You know what I mean? Okay, here we go. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this, if you are counting on singing worship songs to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. How are we doing so far? Okay, here we go. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on scripture memorization to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. It's Christ. It's your relationship with Jesus that matters the most. Everything else comes as a result of a right relationship with Jesus. Verse 3, I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised or giving or serving or, or praying hard or, or, or prophesying to this one or, or casting demons out of this one, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. 633 laws. You need to keep all of them or you kept none of them is what he's saying. So you trying to work so hard, you trying to say all the church things, you trying to be the, 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 uh, somebody's pastor on Facebook ain't good enough. No matter how many Facebook lives you do, it won't be good enough. Void of a relationship with God. You got to get that in your spirit. You have to know 
that anything you do on this earth requires being led by the Spirit or else it's no benefit to you. You can do all those things and go to hell. There will be many on that day. There will be many, not a few, not a couple. The Bible says there will be many on that day. They said that they preached, cast out demons, prophesied in your name. And he will say, I never knew you. Be gone. Because those things don't get you into heaven. Those things are what comes out of your relationship with God. You can't hold on to grace and works at the same time. You're going to have to choose one or the other. You're going to be either operating, living from a mentality that's based on grace, which we went over, or you're going to be living and operating out of a mentality that's based on works. You get to choose. Only one of them works, though. Only one of them is what gets you the ultimate goal, the ultimate prize, which is to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. The warning here is that when we stop operating from a standard of grace and instead take on the identity, there we go again, switching up the identity. We were given one identity, which was based on grace. And then for some reason, we let somebody else taint us, which we'll get to later and tell us that that's not good enough. And then we start operating in a brand new identity called works. It leads to a life of spiritual defeat. You're powerless. You have no power. Now, you think because you prayed and somebody failed that you're powerful. The problem with that theory is that God used a donkey to deliver a message to a prophet in the Bible. So you ain't all that. The Bible says if you don't, I can get rocks to cry out. So you ain't all that. We end up living a life lacking joy. We end up living a, a life lacking love. Why? Because we're working so hard to please God. And when we don't live up to the standard that didn't come from him, we feel worse about ourselves. And then we try harder. And then we end up in the same spot. And then we go buy a master class on prayer. And then we go buy a master class on prophecy trying to get better at it. There's nothing wrong with those things. Unless you're doing them out of a works-based mentality. That's where the problem is. Don't miss what I'm saying. You have to choose grace or works. It's one or the other. And only one is the one identity that God gave you, and it was through grace. Chapter five, or verse 5 says this. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly await to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Eagerly, not anxiously. Eagerly, not anxiously. They both require waiting. The word hope can be translated both ways, eagerly or anxiously. The difference between those two words is what's in our heart. To be anxious about something is to be worried. I hope it don't rain tomorrow, but I don't know. I don't have no control over that. 
That's an anxious type of hope. That's not the translation here. Eagerly is something that you know to be sure. It's something you have no doubt about. You're waiting, knowing it's going to happen. That's a different type of waiting. And that comes from a right relationship with God. We know he's going to show up. We know he's going to hear our prayers. We know he's going to heal. We know he's going to provide. Why? Because we have a relationship. We've been talking to him. We've been, we've been submitting to him. We've been committed. We know what he's telling us and we're following after him. And so I'm waiting, knowing, knowing that he's going to show up, knowing that he's going to be there right on time, knowing that I don't have anything to worry about. I don't have nothing to fear as long as I am with him. Verse six, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit to being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself and love. God is looking for obedience, yes. But he's not looking for obedience that's based on the keeping of the law. He's looking for the type of obedience that comes because you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. I can program my phone to be obedient to me. I can tell Alexa to do something and she does it. That's not what God's looking for. God wants you to want him because you love him. God wants you to accept him because he's accepted you. And that's where your obedience comes from. You've been so good that I want to do what you've told me to do. I don't do it because I feel like, ah, I guess I should. I mean, he did die on the cross for me. <laughs> he wants you to love him and obey him of a relationship, not out of a religion. Paul says this, you were running the race so well. Verse seven, who has held you back from following the truth? Something happened because they got the gospel. They started running the race and they were doing such a good job. But then it got tainted by some false teachers. Now, y'all go to this church, so you know I ain't no false teachers. Thank y'all. <laughs> but false teachers come in all shapes and sizes. What you watch on TV can be a false teacher. Oh, y'all mad now? Come on. What you listening to in your AirPods could be a false teacher. Who's teaching you? Where are you getting your teaching from? Is it your timeline? Because, you know, everybody's so scholarly on Facebook. Everybody's so full of revelation on Facebook. Everybody's so deep on Facebook. They put their words together. It sounds so good. And then it starts to shape our thoughts. It starts to shape our opinions. It starts to shape our worldviews. Because we esteem these above what the gospel actually says. We ain't even really reading our Bible like that. But because they copied and pasted some scriptures, whew, they must know what they're talking about. The problem is, is when you don't have the Holy Spirit guiding you, you can fall victim to anything. You can fall for anybody saying anything that sounds a little bit on point. Don't fall for charismatic people. Don't fall for 
People who seemingly have it all together don't fall for cute words and phrases and quotes. Fall for the spirit of God. Surrender and submit. That means you should see everything through the lens of the spirit. You shouldn't be attempting a darn thing without looking at it. What does God say about this? What does God want me to do about this? Because remember, Holy Spirit is God. He is God. And he's in your life. And for you to have God in your life and not consider him is foolish. For you to have God in your life and not consult him is insane. This world is too dangerous for you to walk alone when he's made himself available to you. You can't allow yourself to get to the point where you feel like you don't need him anymore. You can't allow yourself to feel like you've outgrown. You know, I'm not on milk anymore. I'm, I'm eating meat. I'm, I'm, I'm researching theology, right? I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm studying justification and glorification and all the occasions. You ain't good enough still. You still need Jesus. Verse 8, it certainly isn't God. That's not who this garbage came from that you're believing. Because he called you to freedom. And when you add stuff to the gospel, you're no longer free. Does anybody want to be free? Does anybody want to stay free? Then you have to stay with him. You have to constantly come to the Holy Spirit to guide you. When was the last time you asked Holy Spirit to guide you? When was the last time you asked Holy Spirit to help you? When was the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to show you something? It's too quiet. That's not a good answer. <laughs> Verse 9 says, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of the dough. All it takes is a little deception to corrupt your whole heart. All it takes is a little heresy to take you completely off from where God pointed you to go. And it's a dangerous thing. And it's a reminder of how much we need him. Do you get that yet? That you need him? That without him, you won't make it. Without him, you will fail. Without him, you won't survive. You need him. Here's some more proof in verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. So yeah, we're, we're free. We're called to freedom. He died to give us freedom. Well, freedom has boundaries. Yeah, I used to play football, not NFL. Just, I know I look like it, but I didn't. But here's the thing. If I take the football and I run out of bounds, I run up the stands, I get some popcorn, I run back down, I come back and then I go to the end zone, it's not a touchdown. I left the boundaries of the rules of the game. As soon as I went out of bounds, the play was over. So although I'm free, I can, I can, I can run anywhere I want to. But if I leave the boundaries of the rules of the game, I'm not gonna win the game. So although freedom is ours to take, 
there's something that Paul is instructing us to do. It's almost like a two-sided coin. On one side, he was instructing us not to lose our freedom. That's what he did for the first few verses. Now he's saying, don't abuse your freedom. It's the same coin, different sides, and where our, our task is the same. Don't lose it and don't abuse it. Because they're both going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. 14, it says, for the law, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't just do anything. To anybody, call yourself a spirit-filled believer. You can't be at your job cursing people out, calling yourself a spirit-filled believer. You can't be rude to the waitress and the waiter at the restaurant, rolling your eyes, asking for extra stuff that ain't even on the menu. <laughs> Don't even leave a tip. I want to leave a Bible track on the table. Take that track with you. Because you're not representing us well. Verse 15, it says, if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. See, it's starting to get, starting to get juicy right now. Y'all can start playing because I'm, 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 I'm getting too excited. And so it's important that you realize that there's some clues happening on the inside of you to let you know who's leading you. Who's leading you. And, and, and his warning in this verse is this. You should be careful what you do because what you do can affect the person next to you. Mm -hmm. When you get online and you say some suspect stuff and somebody looked up to you in the church, you're like, oh, I guess I can do that too. When you, in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, disrespecting your leader, saying what you want to say, you've now corrupted that person against that leader. Not biblical. It goes back to that little bit of leaven that ruins the whole thing. How are you interacting with your neighbor? It's a clue as to who's guiding you, as to what is ruling your life. There's two options, the spirit or your flesh. Based on how you're living, based on how you're acting, based on your behavior are clues. Am I living by the spirit or, or am I living by my flesh? It's, it's, you got to be careful how you treat people. God is concerned about how you're treating people. It's kind of like a, a, a big old pot of crabs. You put them in the water, everything's cool until the temperature starts to get a little hot. And they start to feel like, whoa, whoa, hold on. And they start to try to climb out, but what happens? The other crabs don't like that. Like, where you going? We all in this together. And as one climbs, another grabs down. As one climbs, another grabs down. And they all die. That's what Paul's warning us. Not just how we act and how we behave as individuals, but how our behavior and how we act affects the body. Not just how it affects the body, but how it affects and appears to those outside of it. Because they're looking at you. To determine if that God that you keep talking about is worth serving. And if you have a stank attitude 
every time they see you, why would they want to serve that God? If you're the most ungrateful person they know in their circle, why would they want to serve that God? If you're the most gossipy person that they know, why would they want to serve that God? You are a representative of the kingdom, whether you know it or not. Here's what we need to understand in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't do, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Some of you are struggling with sin. Some of you are struggling to get free. Some of you are struggling with your past and letting go. And the answer is let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Because when you let the Holy Spirit guide you, you don't crave what you used to crave. You don't want what you used to want. You don't act like you used to act. And if you're still acting that way, you're not being led by the Spirit. You're not being led by the Spirit. You're not being led by the Spirit. Your flesh is still in charge. Your flesh is still running the show. He talks about it in 17. The simple nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The devil's not going to stop pursuing you. So if you are constantly living by the flesh, he has so much ammunition. But when you instead choose to live by the Spirit, then it becomes his battle. Then the Holy Spirit is fighting for you. That's why it says that you won't crave those sinful desires anymore because you've given him the front and you've taken the back. And you're being led by him instead of you dragging him along on your own escapades. The key is to let the Spirit guides you. Here's the proof in verse 18. When you are directed by the Spirit, you are not un under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now we start to get into proof, evidence. To help you determine, what am I being led by? If my goal is to be led by the Spirit, then there are some things that I should, I should see in my life. And if I'm seeing the opposite, maybe I'm not being led by the Spirit and maybe I need to do something about that. Maybe there's some things about me that I need to nail to the cross that I haven't done so yet. Yeah. Here's some examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. I think we're pretty familiar with these. The church really beats the drum on this, right? Fornication, masturbation, adultery. All the sexual, that's like all we talk about. They're bad, shouldn't do them, but this is a long list. Every last one of them are equal to each other. So you may not be struggling with sexual immorality. You may not be struggling with 
impurity or lustful pleasures. Are you struggling with idolatry? Now, I ain't even talking about little statues. I mean, those are bad too. <laughs> but is your job your idol? Are your kids your idol? How about your spouse? How about your career? How about your church? Is it your church or no church? Idol. Is it your career ambitions? Anything that's above God, idol. Just as guilty as sexual immorality. Sorcery. Witchcraft. Burning sage and talking to crystals. Talking about, I'm a Sagittarius. Sorcery. Hostility. You and your short temper. You and your ability to just snap off at any minute. It's a work of the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. Quarreling. Always starting something. Everybody the problem but you. But yet you at the center of all the problems. Jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition. Ooh, that's a good one. I should be up there praying. I should be up there singing. I can preach better than him. You probably can. But God put me here. But selfish ambition. Not ambition, selfish ambition. It's a work of the flesh. Y'all quiet, so I must be on point. (laughs) The list continues. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Like He said he left room. Like, there's more. I'm just tired of writing. I'm just trying to tell you, you ain't that good. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the gospel is not a license to wild out. The fact that you still want to wild out is proof against you. Because when God shows up, something should change. When God shows up, you should not want to be the same. If you're still trying to figure out how close to the line you could get, clue. You're not being led by the Spirit. Well, the Bible says I can drink wine, but can I drink Hennessy? I, I don't know. <laughs> Y'all mad. <laughs> Paul groups these sins together because they are the basic fruits of the sinful nature. Paul says, if by the spirit you put to death the misdeed of the body, you will live. If by the spirit. So you can't put it to death without the spirit. You can try, but you won't, you won't get there. You need the Holy Spirit to come and put those things to death. 
so that you can live. If we put to death all of these acts of our sinful nature, we'll live. But the choice is ours. Holy Spirit's not going to do it without you. The Holy Spirit's not going to do it without your surrender. The Holy Spirit's not going to do it without you making a choice. He doesn't want robots. He wants sons. He wants daughters. So let's, let's, let's look at two things. Because whether you realize it or not, you're producing something. You are a producer. Either you're being, either you're producing things by the spirit or you're producing things by your flesh. Here's some clues. The flesh produces bondage, but the spirit produces freedom. The flesh produces doubt, but the spirit produces faith. That's trust, that's confidence in. The flesh produces religion while the spirit produces relationships. The flesh produces legalism while the spirit produces grace. Verse 22 says it like this, the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit, this kind of fruit in our lives. Here's evidence. Am I living by the spirit? Are these things present in my life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you see that in your life? Is it, is it something that other people can see in your life? Because you can lie to yourself and make it sound real good. You don't know what I came from. You don't know what I did. You don't know who did that to me. But what about what, what, about what God did for you? When you move away from what was done to what he's done, there's evidence that should be not just seen by you, but seen by others. There should be proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yeah, you should have some self-control. I'm trying to figure out if I want to make y'all real mad or not. <laughs> that extra fried chicken. I know it looked good. talking to myself. You know, I like chicken. <laughs> a lot. Um, she should have some self-control. You should have love. You shouldn't see everybody else and initially have a negative thought. You shouldn't automatically move to judgment because somebody doesn't do, do it the way that you do it. You should have love. Maybe they're on a journey. Maybe God is still walking with them in that area. Who are you to condemn? Who are you to look down on? Proof of the Spirit being present is that you would love. Proof of the Spirit being present is that you would have patience. I mean, I know they're getting on your last nerve. 
But how many times did you get on God's last nerve? Everybody's stuff look worse than ours, don't it? Until we really think about it. Until we really consider just how messed up we are, we won't be able to have the grace and the patience for somebody else's messiness. But Paul said there's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed those passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. So you don't just nail them there, but you make sure that stuff is dead. I need to nail it there and watch that boy die. To know that it's gone. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading. Here it is in every part of our lives. Not just the churchy stuff. I need him to lead every part of my life. I need him to help me at work. I need him to help me when I'm cooking. I need him to help me when I'm driving. I need him to help me when I'm praying. I need him to help me when I'm dating. I need him to help me when I'm married. I need him to help me when I'm parenting. I need him to help me when I'm spending money. I need him to help me find a promotion. I need him to help me to start a business. I need him to help me to love these unlovable people that I work with. I need him to help me to love my crazy uncle. I need him to help every area of my life. I need him. So how do we live by the Spirit? It's three steps and we're out of here. Number one, it requires me to see. It requires me to see. Psalms 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. I need to consult this book, not because I have to, but I want to know what, what the Lord has to say. And I want to know what he has to say because I know it'll help me to live this life the way that he wants me to live it. I have to see what he has to say in order for me to live it out, to follow his spirit. His spirit is responsible for every word in this book. Every word came from the Holy Spirit through human writers. Number two, it requires me to listen. Isaiah 30 and 21 says, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, This is the way you should go, whether to the right or the left. Some of us talk too much. We pray, 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 get up and leave. We didn't even take time to listen. We don't make time to listen for what the Holy Spirit has to say. We think that we need to be doing all the talking and we're missing a beautiful opportunity to hear from God. So we were, it requires me to see, it requires me to listen. And then lastly, it requires me to follow. So it's not good enough to just see what the word of God says or listen to what the spirit of God has to say if I'm not willing to follow what he has to say. James 1 and 22 says, don't just Listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So you came in here, you listened, thank you for staying. What are you going to do with it? 
What are you going to do with the words that you just heard? In one ear after the other, you're going to find yourself in it? Or are you just thinking about who else need to hear this? As soon as it hit YouTube, I'm sending it to such and such. What about you? What has God said to you about you? Here's a couple things you need to just let stay in your heart as we get ready to go. As you endeavor to live by the Spirit, the enemy will try to trick you just like he tricked Eve. Here's something that you need to always put in your heart and let it stay there. Number one, I am never alone. The enemy loves to make you think that you're the only one going through that. You're the only one dealing with that. Nobody understands. And he loves isolation because he can just beat you upside the head when you're all alone. But you're never alone. Even if nobody's physically with you, the spirit of the living God is present. Remind yourself of that beautiful fact every day. And watch how you feel. Watch how you behave. When you remind yourself, I am never alone. Why? Because the spirit is always with me. I am never alone because the spirit is always with me. Every head bowed. I believe that even in this moment, again, as, as James told us to not just be hearers, but to be doers of the word. I believe there's some that need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Some of us have just been living, going through day after day after day after day, no conversation with the Holy Spirit, no consultation with the Holy Spirit. No surrendering to the Holy Spirit. We're just doing it out of our own strength, trying to live life under our own power. And as a result, we haven't quite arrived. We haven't quite felt as though we're, we are where we need to be. That's because Holy Spirit is waiting for you to surrender to him. Holy Spirit is waiting for you to allow him to take the lead. Holy Spirit is waiting for you to move out the way. Move out the way. So I just want you to have just a few seconds to talk to him. Eyes closed, hearts open, and surrender to the Holy Spirit right now. Ask him to be your guide. Ask him to take control of not just parts, but of every area of your life. It's personal. I can't do it for you. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. With all eyes closed, if there's someone in here who feels as though um, they need to, either surrender or resurrender, either commit or recommit back to the Father. I'm not gonna make you do anything crazy, but just can you raise your hand to him, not to me, but just let him know. I see you, I see you, I see you. 
I see you. Let him know, I see you. I need to get back to you. You can put those hands down. We're gonna pray. And as we pray, you can say this loudly, you can say it quietly. But just, just know that he's waiting for you and he's happy to know that you acknowledge him and that you acknowledge the fact that you need to get to him. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna believe by faith that God is gonna do just what he said that he would do. So Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for seeing about us today. Thank you for coming and speaking to us, letting us know that we need to be living a life that's led by your spirit. Thank you for making your spirit available to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming to be with us today. Thank you that you love us unconditionally. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect to come to you, that we can come in our brokenness, that we can come just as we are, and you're waiting to welcome us. Even in this moment, we realize just how undeserving we are. Even in this moment, we acknowledge that without you, we are absolutely nothing. So Father, in this moment, we surrender. We surrender our lives to you. We ask that you take the front as we move back out of the way. Holy Spirit, guide every area of our life. We surrender our lives to you in totality. We believe that Jesus is the only way to you, O oh God. We believe that he came and lived a perfect life died on a cross, got up out of the grave to set us free. Thank you that as we surrender to you in this moment, that we can find freedom in you in this moment. Help us to not lose our freedom. Help us to not abuse our freedom, but help us to walk in the freedom that you have granted us led by your spirit. And we just want to say from this moment forward, have your way in our lives. And we surrender. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Can we put our Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.